the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Hey, it's Friday. Hey. I get super excited. The same way you're somewhat melancholy on Mondays, Fridays, I'm like, woohoo, Friday. <laughs> hey, are you not melancholy on Mondays? I am, but you always verbalize your melancholiness uh, with your Monday Mondays. Yes, yes. Friday is like, yes, I'm, it's, it's my thing. So I'm very excited. <laughs> Friday. Friday is here. And uh, we're glad that you're here with us on Facebook. You can follow us at the Common Good Radio Show on Twitter at uh, Common Good Talk. We've got a lot of good stuff planned for you today. Uh, none better than later in the show, we're going to talk to Phil Vischer. And uh, I told every now and then I try to impress my kids. And I was like, I told my youngest today, I said, I wonder who I'm interviewing today. She's like, who? I go, the guy who made VeggieTales. And she was like, can you tell him I said hi? <laughs> Is that really what they asked? Yeah. <laughs> That's really cute. So it's, uh, that, you know, every now and then we got to throw those out for people. But we're excited to talk to Phil Vischer about his new Bible for kids uh, and some new stuff with VeggieTales. That'll be in the five o'clock uh, hour. But first, this, uh, this story out of Des Moines, Iowa. Bush Light to have no further association with viral Iowa, Iowa State fan over old tweets. Reporter then criticized for own off- offensive posts. Let me fill the bucket here for you a little bit, and then you can uh, react to it. So a guy named Carson King. One of my favorite shows on the weekend is uh, College Game Day on ESPN in the morning. And one of the traditions, while they're talking about the college football games, there's all these students in the background, and they're holding signs up that are just funny, uh, usually mocking the other team. And Carson King, when uh, Game Day was at Iowa State two weeks ago, uh, he held up a sign uh, that basically said, uh, I need more beer money. I've run out of beer money and basically put his Venmo account on there. <laughs> and he raised hundreds of thousands of dollars right away. It was crazy. Uh, and then 820,000 craziness. And so uh, as a college kid, you're like, well, what's he going to do with this money? He decides I'm going to donate it all, I believe, to the Iowa Children's Hospital. And uh, Bush Light came out and said, we're going to match it. And so it's this great feel-good story. But like every feel-good story that happens in our culture right now, uh, the Des Moines Register came out, and we're going to interview him, uh, and found that uh, uh, Clayton King, what's his name, Carson King, had a couple of uh, inappropriate tweets from when he was 16 uh, that were racial in nature. Uh, they referenced a racially charged segment on the television show Tosh O., uh, and Tosh, he, Tosh point oh. is that what it is? Yeah, so I'm, I'm so, it's, it's a comedian, Daniel Tosh Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> and so King, who was 16 years old at the time, he then did a press conference, called the tweets hurtful and embarrassing. Uh, and he says he doesn't want it to take away from all the good the donations can do for the kids. 
And so it seemed like that would be the end of it. But instead, Bush Beer came out and said, from Anheuser-Busch, they said, we're going to still honor what we said we're going to do, but we're now distancing ourselves from the kid. Yeah. And we're not going to do anything after that. Up to this point now, $1.14 million have come in in donations. And now the pushback has been, and I was reading some of the tweets and some of the articles about this, people are just killing the Des Moines Register. Like, why'd you have to ruin the story by, like, digging on this kid who, like, was doing something good and they're ripping Bush beer? But now, of course, what ends up happening is the guy who wrote the story and found the tweets on the Des Moines Register has old tweets of his own. Uh And now that's become the big uproar. And it's like everything kind of cancel culture, Twitter, (laughs) all wrapped into one. So that's the crazy story that's still going going on. King has tried to get ahead of it, uh, contacting, you know, doing this, uh, like I said, his own press conference. So what do you do with this story? It's uh, we've talked a lot about this whole concept of cancel culture and all, but what do we even do with this? Uh, move to Alaska. <laughs> They'll do it in buy, Alaska. I'm going to buy a cabin in the woods, and you'll never hear from me again. Twitter will follow you there as well. Well, I will say this, too. Quick shout-out to Chris Crispin, who uh, at our church, we call him a quad mate. So our desk's big open office, and the desks are organized by four. So Chris and I are quad mates, okay. and uh, he currently leads our First Impressions Ministry. At community. He was telling me this story, and as he's telling me, I was like looking it up. I was like, oh, yeah, we, we got to do this story. We got this one. So part of what he was saying was really interesting, too. This uh, the Stead Family Children's Hospital in Iowa City actually like overlooks the stadium. It's the best. And so uh, I think it's before the second half, right? They have everyone in the sense stand up, and they turn, and they wave yes. to the kids. And, like It's a really kind of beautiful symbiotic relationship and so like his choice king's choice to make this donation wasn't like ah what's the nearest hospital right there's like already this pre-established relationship and it was it was a really like feel good like he had this kind of funny sign which wasn't all that original yeah it just happens to go viral and you can't you know you can't choose what goes viral it just happened to and we don't have any record of him like already being wealthy i think he didn't have to give it away college kid yeah yeah, yeah. kept it could have uh, invested it, could have done any number of things. Whatever I was like, he nope, wanted. It's in I'm his gonna, account. Let's do a good thing with it. Makes the makes the uh, the public statement to donate it. And then, like you said, they dig up old tweets. And then the guy that dug up the old tweets has old tweets. And it just makes me like weep for our children <laughs> that their entire <laughs> lives we documented digitally. Because I, and again, I haven't actually read them. So I don't really know how bad they are. And Bush did say it wasn't just a tweet yes it was, it was like multiple yeah. tweets multiple posts and they said just it just doesn't align with our values or with who we want to be as a company which they have every they have, they have right. every right to say they're still going to honor their commitment to donate the money which i i do appreciate i guess i guess like other beer companies are saying well if you're going to cut ties we'll support this guy i think like Coors is in the mix now, and they're saying, "All right, well, if Bush doesn't want him, then we'll have him." So I, I, it's hard to keep up with all the different yes. developing. You know, it's, I saw a thing. This is loosely related. And we're talking about uh, Gillis, who was cut from the SNL cast yes. uh, because of a podcast which wasn't that old. But I saw Bill Burr saying, "This is ridiculous. It's you, dang millennials, just canceling everybody." You know, and he was just kind of ranting on. This is just what comedy is. So. I'm curious, how, where do we go from here? Because this guy, you know, and he like was very forthright in saying. That's yeah. what bothers me about this story. Like you just were saying, he was forthright. He said, I was I'm so embarrassed and stunned to reflect on what I thought was funny when I was 16 years old. I sincerely apologize. And it wasn't done. This was before Bush Beer pulled out. So he wasn't doing it to try to keep him. 
Like the money was coming. He's not like he's got some. He was from what I saw a clip of it. He seemed to be legitimately remorseful. Right. Like when I don't know. I want to be like, hey, he said he's sorry. He was 16. We all did dumb stuff. There's a message here for parents about letting your kids on Twitter and other things when they're in high school that it comes back to get you. But I don't know this kind of gotcha journalism. We're going to go through his Twitter feed and then. We're gonna we're gonna say oh we're gonna can't I don't know I'm really bothered by this story like he seemed to do everything right he raised money for kids he's donating money he didn't have to donate this starts to come out and he goes oh my goodness I didn't even remember those I'm sorry I sincerely apologize like I don't know why what 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 needs to turn so we as a culture can be like hey dumb move is 16 but we're glad you've grown from that and you apologize I don't know maybe it's more complex than that but for me it's like. He said, sorry, he's doing a good thing. Let's all just kind of celebrate what's going on. And now the story's just taking a weird turn. Well, I just, I'd like to call this segment, this is why we can't have nice things. Yes. <laughs> like that's, that's what we, and again, he's not running for political office. No, you know, like even, even that would be different because 16 is young, but it's not an eight-year-old. Like 16, in some ways you yep. can make the case, is a microcosm of the way this guy sees people in the world. But like, you know. Having not been two decades removed from 16, yep. there was a yes. bunch of stuff I'm so glad was not recorded when I was 16 yes. because I, I, I wouldn't want any of that in any way pointing back to who people think Ian is now 100%. at all. And, you know, again, we're products of our environments and our belief systems and blah, 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 blah. It just it bumps me out that it took this particular turn. Yeah. And you might be thinking, well, what's the danger? They're giving the money. What's that? But. It's danger, such a precedent, though. And somebody in the future might be like, well, I, I'm not going to do something even good because right. it could put me in the public spotlight. Right. I've got to I'll just hold on to the money and not get yeah. dragged through the uh, through the mud. Yeah. So we'd love to know your thoughts on this. You can do that at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Also on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk about a tweet that uh, actually I talked about a week or two ago when I was in here by myself. And you were like, hey, I want I want to weigh in on this. I thought it was pretty interesting. So we're going to circle back to this tweet. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. We're glad to have you joining us on this Friday afternoon. Hopefully you're done with your work day, on your way home with a nice weekend. Looking forward to And uh, so a couple weeks ago, I think it was two Fridays ago, I believe. No, it was last Friday, maybe. Uh, you were out. Uh, not not playing hooky. You had a, you had a work thing, and uh, we like to be. Or so you work. think. <laughs> I'm going to choose to believe you had a work engagement. It's very kind. I had a half hour meeting. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, no, you were out. So I did that show mostly by myself. And uh, on that show, I brought up a tweet that I thought was fascinating. We had a little fascinating thread going. Uh, and when you and I were talking about, it, you were like, hey, "I'd love to talk more about that," and you wanted to weigh in. And so let me remind people of this tweet. It was from at Godless Mom, (laughs) at Godless Mom, Godless underscore mom. Uh, And uh, she tweeted, ex-theists, I'd love to know if you miss anything about being religious, hashtag atheist. And so, uh, you know, the term ex-theist is people who were raised in the church. Uh, They had a faith at some point and no longer ascribe to that faith. They now say, I'm an atheist. I've, I'm no longer in the faith. And I found this to be a fascinating question. Uh, those of you who were in the faith and are no longer in the faith, is there anything you miss about being religious? Yeah. Is there anything you miss about being the faith? And so uh, you wanted to latch back onto this. So my, uh, go ahead and, and uh, what were your thoughts about this when you were reading it? Uh, latch back onto this? <laughs> sure, I don't know. <laughs> 
You're back in it. <laughs> uh, for the first time. Uh, yeah, I just thought it was such a... It's a question, and I've actually posed questions like this yeah, on yeah. Facebook before, but it's sometimes tough because, you know, you and I are both pastors, so getting this kind of feedback can sometimes be difficult. One, because maybe the circles you run in are mostly other Christians, or two, sometimes people, I think, struggle to really be honest about these things with pastors, un- understandably. So, like, I thought this person tweeting this actually really genuinely wanting the responses yeah. I thought was was super interesting. And the one that kind of jumps out to me, and there's, all, there's pages and pages of responses, but uh, uh, let's see, at, at New York Jets Junkie says... <laughs> I already don't like that person. <laughs> yeah, of course not. <laughs> That's why I paused. I was like, oh, I shouldn't say what the handle is. Uh, it says, the only thing I miss is not being treated like an outcast. That's unbelievable. And I thought that was really interesting that the, this person essentially is saying, man, I actually found like belonging and I still chose to step away from it at all. But at the time, for the season that I actually bought into all this, um, it actually felt like family. It felt like home, you know? Uh, it says, there's a couple other things that people said that they, uh, you know, a lot of people, of course, responded very aggressively. No. Very aggressively. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, someone, somebody said the food. I'm from the Deep South, and anytime we ate church revivals, vacation, Bible school, picnics, et cetera. It's delicious. Those Baptist women can cook. <laughs> Other than that, no. As a terrifying, as a, as a, as a child, it was terrifying to be threatened with burning in hell. Um, it's, it's really interesting to me though, that there, there doesn't seem to emerge like one common thread necessarily. Right. Like as I was kind of scanning through these, trying to see if there was a pattern, um, a lot of them do center around people, right? But plenty of them said, Hey, I miss the people, but I found my community elsewhere or, uh, I missed, feeling like that was some kind of meaning, but I've actually discovered a different kind of meaning. And um, I'd love to know other people's thoughts when you actually go there because it has all all sorts of perspectives and glimpses that I think sometimes when you're so immersed in church world, yes. you, you maybe don't ever really think about these things. And I think if if we really want to be Jesus to people in our neighborhoods and communities, it's worth actually taking a deep dive into some of what people are actually feeling. Yeah. Uh, one of the ones that I found interesting that I remember we talked about the other day uh, was this one person said community and the calendar of events to engage with that community. Mm. So I think we take that for granted in the church that not only do we have an opportunity, a built-in kind of a caked-in opportunity for deep community or to get to know people, but it, it's actually calendared for us, right? Right, like, right. Show up here on Sunday and you're going to get to – and I've never really thought about that as being someone who's always been a part of a church uh, that uh, – that, what do you do to find even the people to build community with outside of the church? I, I never mm. really thought about that because, again, my whole life it's been show up on Sunday and there's all these other people there who show up on Sunday. Go to youth group on Wednesday and there's all these other kids there. And uh, and it was interesting to me that this person said they miss community and the calendar of events to engage with that community. Yeah, here's here's one that I thought was interesting. I miss the way my belief in God meant I was automatically assumed to be a good person with good intentions. Mm. That for them, being a Christ follower, being a Jesus person, at least in their experience, in their context, people assume the best of them. And it seems like by inference, this is sort of saying the opposite is true now. Yes. Like, oh, gosh. You have you don't get the benefit of the doubt when you're not a Jesus person. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, and there was one that I, I can't find it right now, but I remember reading it the other day that said, uh, this person said, even though I don't believe it anymore, I miss believing in an afterlife. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Just the concept of hope. And there's a, there's a sports writer that I follow on Twitter named, what's his name, Jeff Perlman, and he's in a, he talks about being an atheist. And he will literally on Twitter begin talking about while I don't believe any of this, he will say I'm terrified of death because it's just the finality of it and there's nothing after it and it's hopeless. 
and, and you want to, but they said, but it's still not enough for me to believe in something that seems unbelievable to me is basically what he'll say. Hmm. And, and that person also writing that on here that, you know what, even though they're even acknowledging like the fact that there is this hope out there was something that brought great comfort, even though now I think it's all, uh, you know, uh, all story and, and not not true at all. But, right. but I miss that hope. And yeah. there being something more to hold on to. I think that's fascinating. The other thing that does seem to show up a lot is something to do with food and something to do with community, mm-hmm. which, you know, if you're a part of a church right now, and sometimes I think those can be two aspects that often churches will forget to do, you yeah. know, or just not have the bandwidth to do. Like we don't really have time for potlucks or we don't have time to create space for people to just be in community with one another. And if this many thousands of people are saying, that's actually a thing I miss. Maybe maybe that's worth talking about in our church context. And obviously, based on your size and your context and your staff, all of those things are all, they need to be contextualized, yeah. obviously. But this idea that so often, and you know, you could probably speak to this as a pastor, you spend a lot of time, I imagine, thinking about the sermon, yep. thinking about your staff, thinking about, you know, all the vision, mission, strategy stuff. That's all really good. Sometimes don't you feel like we can just miss the like being with people part? Yes. That's so off, that's often the first to go yep. in like a busy pastoral week, and I think I think that's missing some of the incarnational call of like being the pastor shepherd to whatever flock that you've been entrusted to. And I just think that it's surprising to me how many people say that's what I miss most. Yep. When so many pastors I meet with say that's the thing I struggle to do. Yeah, because as pastors we can easily think of our people as a gateway to the next people. And to what we're trying to accomplish. And so, yeah, the community comes out a lot in here. I'm curious. You said you've thrown this kind of question out on your own personal Facebook page. And uh, wondering, what what is that like? Because people know you're a pastor. Yeah. So do they go in on you or do they or it's kind of... Do you, Not get, usually. do you get honesty? What's it play out like? Yeah, it was interesting. I had a buddy call me after I posted it, just thanking me for the post, to be honest, which huh. felt silly. I didn't feel like I, I should have been thanked for it. But he, part of his comment was... I'm really encouraged by the diversity of responses you're getting and how generally cordial they are. Because obviously some of them had a lot of hurt. Like you could tell some of them were being more forthright than others. Um, But it did. It was encouraging because if I asked a question like, hey, uh, what's the reason you walked away from the church? And 100 percent of my responses were. I didn't walk away. I no. love the church. You're like, oh, <laughs> maybe I'm not spending any time with people that look and talk and yeah. act and vote differently than I do. So I actually appreciated the diversity of responses. And there were certainly people that clearly had hurt that also, strangely, were like thanking me for the dialogue, though. Yeah. So like they had chosen clearly to kind of opt out. And yet for them, seeing responses was like somehow sort of healing, which I I was pretty surprised by. I've never used my social media for that platform. It kind of I, I think it would be interesting to do so. Give and, it a shot sometime. Go for it. Uh, I'll see you on there. You'll be like, well, because... Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'd love to know your thoughts on this. Uh, you can find stuff at the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook and Twitter at Common Good Talk. Coming up next, we're going to uh, dive back into a, a topic that's been in the news the last couple weeks. Uh, about pastors and depression and some research around that. We're going to answer that, ask that question. Why are pastors seeming to be depressed? That's coming up next on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Happy Friday. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. What better to do... Uh, over your weekend and just go through our Facebook page, right? Mm. Find the articles. All the You're really, really selling it right I'm now. I'm really selling yeah. that poorly. Twitter at Common Good Talk. 
before we get into our discussion for this segment, let me tell you about the Touchstone Conference. Touchstone Magazine presents the 2019 Touchstone Conference, Fight or Flight. Choose fight, please. The Benedict and other options for facing the world, the flesh, and the devil. October 10th. I said that too enthusiastically, the devil. <laughs> I said, you sound real televangelisty right now. <laughs> and the devil. And the devil. October 10th through the 12th in Deerfield. Learn more at touchstonemag.com. You'll join speakers like the Chicago Bears' Patrick McCaskey, uh, Russell Moore, John Stone Street, Rod Dreher, and many others. Uh, visit touchstonemag.com for tickets that cost $249 with discounts for married couples and just $19 for students or your children attending with you. So go to touchstonemag.com for the Touchstone Conference. Uh, so a lot in the news lately for good reason, especially uh, it really elevated the conversation after the uh, the tragic suicide of Jared Wilson um, about pastors and depression and mental health. And uh, just this uh, this article at churchleaders.com really highlighted some sobering statistics, I would say, about pastors uh, and depression. Let me read just a couple of them for you. There was a 2003 uh, survey out of Canada that said 16% said of pastors said they had been diagnosed with depression. This is double the Health Canada finding uh, for, um, for non-pastors in uh, Canada. Uh, a 2014 LifeWay study among pastors in the U.S. found that these numbers don't seem to have changed much in almost the decade that it transpired. Uh, and then there was this other study out of Knox College. Listen to this. Uh, 70% moderately or strongly agreed with the statement, I feel fulfilled in ministry. Strongly disagreed. Strong, thank you. Strongly disagreed with the statement, I feel fulfilled in ministry. 67% agreed to strongly agreed with the statement, I sometimes project my job frustration on the family. Uh, 62% agreed to strongly agreed with the statement, sometimes my outward appearance seems happy and content while inside I'm emotionally distressed. 75% agreed to strongly agreed with the statement, I'm afraid to let my parishioners know how I really feel. 80% agreed to strongly agreed with the statement, I feel guilty if people see me taking time off during the week. And 50% moderately to strongly disagreed with the statement, I am consistent between who I am and how I appear uh, to others. And so this is kind of the stew that this article's making that's saying, hey, there's a lot of things going into this, but pastor and specifically pastoral depression and mental health uh, is a really big deal that we've got to have an honest conversation about. When you've mentioned before, too, this isn't really a topic that you've thought much about. Has that changed in the last month or so? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. Because yeah. of the stuff that you've seen in the news I or so. there are other because factors? Because, quite frankly, doing this show really? where we've had to uh, talk about this and, and then the, the stuff with Jared Wilson and reading all that. Uh, uh, yeah, no, it's something that I've thought a lot more about. Uh, and, and, and these questions are really... Uh, important here about fulfillment and uh, the the lack of ability that many pastors here are saying, I don't feel the ability to be my true self, to let people see who I really am. I don't really have anybody I can talk to. Like these are, these are really uh, a recipe for a lot of trouble. So I'm curious if these statistics surprised you or not, because they, they don't surprise me at all, but we have kind of both talked a number of times around this topic. Uh, having this be sort of a new, topic that you've sort of opened your eyes to and have 
kind of delved into a little bit more, do you find these statistics surprising? Um, that's a great question. I don't find them surprising in the sense that the majority of people say, said, uh, you know, um, I'm afraid to let my parishioners know how I feel. I would say what I'm surprised by in this article, uh, is the size of the majority. Like again, so I would, I'm not surprised that more pastors than not say, I'm afraid to let my parishioners know how I feel. 75% a big number. That surprises you. Yeah. Or 80% like saying, I I'm afraid I don't like. I feel guilty if people see me taking time off. Seventy uh, percent uh, disagreeing with the statement. I feel fulfilled in ministry. Like those are really high numbers. So I guess I'm surprised by the numbers. Not that they're there, uh, but that it's not just a slim majority, but but a big majority. Yeah. A little later, it says a full eighty percent admitted to being jealous of the success of other pastors. Additionally, only 40% of clergy said they had someone they considered a personal pastor, while only 16% said they had a spiritual director. In other words, few pastors feel they have a pastor for themselves as individuals, which is a drum that I've been beating for a long time. When I meet with other pastors and I ask, when's the last time you went to church? I'm like, what are you talking about? I preach almost every weekend. I'm like, no, no, no. When did you go to church? And you even talked about this like on vacation. I don't go to church. You don't go to church, right? When was the last time that you actually just like attended a worship service? Uh... So I'll put that in two buckets here. One is I do attend on occasion if I'm not preaching at our church. Okay. But even that feels different because I'm yeah. still the pastor. You're still in charge. So People are still looking at you. I'm still thinking of a million things even uh-huh. while sitting in there and not preaching. And you're assessing the music and the yeah. sermon length. So it's a little and, different, but yeah. I will go to our church if I'm in town but not preaching. I still will go. Okay. But truthfully, the last time I went to a church uh, in which that wasn't my church yeah. uh, was – over a year ago when I was on sabbatical, when I went to your church. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, so that's the last time that I've gone into a church where I had no role. It wasn't my church. And it, it just filled you up so much that you didn't feel the need to go to, I guess. I'll tell you it was what. such a good experience. I, the altar call, I came down, I was there. <laughs> no, no, no. But don't, it was, don't tell people that. There it was, was no altar it call. It was helpful, though. It was, was it? it was good. But then even that, uh, I t- I've told you when I was on sabbatical, uh, the plan was to go to church most Sundays, mm. and that was in early to mid-July. I didn't go after that. Mm. Like, there was this detox that I feel like I needed. Uh, so, no, I get that one. I do. How about yourself? Do you go? I used to be way better at this. Yeah. I, I, before I was married, actually, I would – I don't know that I've ever said this on the show. I would pretty regularly attend Mass elsewhere. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I would go to some – because I was still working in churches, so I'd find just a, a small – community that had like a Saturday mass or something. And I just didn't know anybody for some reason for a season that just, that was really meaningful. And I felt that really, uh, I mean, again, it's not a catch all like part of, part of what I'm, what I want to be sure to say here, because we are talking about Jared Wilson. We are talking about, I mean, it's still suicide prevention month and you know, this much broader discussion. The solution isn't just, well, get yourself a personal pastor and you'll be good. Like I think, professional therapy, professional counseling, medication, all these things need to be included as possibilities in the conversation. But like what you said, 75% agree to strongly agree that they're afraid other parishioners know how they really feel. Um, that is heartbreaking and also not that surprising. Yeah. Because there's this general sense of like, well, I have to have everything all together and I need to sort of be this stoic and never let them see a sweat because if I have kind of chinks in the armor, then gosh, well, does that compromise my ability to lead in their yeah. eyes? And it all sort of self-fulfills a little bit and it can kind of snowball out of out, out of order. And I think that is, this is why I think actually having 
you know, spiritual directors and friends outside of your orbit is so important, but so hard to do. It is. And so it, this article then gives two things for pastors. Uh, basically, it says, make sure to take a day off. Make sure to get some rest. You preach on rest, but pastors, yeah, right. of course, they don't rest. And you need uh, support from fellow clergy rather than a sense of competition. That's something I've that's one of the things I've been able to find with this most random group of pastors that I meet with once a month. Uh, is this like people who aren't impressed by my church? They don't care how many people were there last Sunday. They care about me. Um, and you might be out there going, well, I'm not a pastor. You guys sound messed up. Well, uh, <laughs> what I want you to know is, yeah, uh, what I want you to know is if you're a part of a church, then this very well probably describes the pastor that you sit under and listen to on a Sunday morning. And you might not know these things about him or her. And I would encourage you, uh, to probably wrestle with these as well. So, uh, just some good stuff right there that we uh, would love to hear your feedback. You can do so on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, uh, a tweet from a pastor that we both found uh, interesting that we're going to discuss next here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. One of the things we enjoy doing here. Uh, is to read tweets that we uh, have come across our Twitter timeline. Uh, it might be from pastors. It might be from uh, celebrities. might be from whatever that just kind of get our conversation going. So we're going to do that in a second. But before we do that, let me tell you about something going on here at the station. Uh, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, but that wasn't the end of the story for music, music legend Johnny Cash. You can download a free preview of the new book, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, now at 1160hope.com, keyword cash. Hmm. You will also have the chance to win Johnny Cash's complete 63-album Columbia Records musical library. So walk the line over to 1160hope.com, keyword cash, to win. Are you going to giggle at that every time? Every single (laughs) time. I just wanted to... And I'll, I'll, in my mind, saying. I'm like, I hope everybody gets the walk the line one. That's funny. That's funny. Okay, Scotty Smith, uh, at Scotty Ward Smith. Uh, I believe a pastor out of Tennessee, maybe, I'm so guessing. Founding pastor and pastor emeritus, Christ Community, teacher in residence at WECC, husband, dad, granddad, lover of the gospel, photography, and fishing. Great. Never said anything about Tennessee. I'm going with Tennessee. No, okay. <laughs> uh, he tweeted this, uh, and uh, it's it's a it's a good one. He wrote, "The resurrection and return of Jesus guarantee comprehensive and eternal redemption and restoration. Cancer, suicide, Alzheimer's disease, ALS, racism, drugs, poverty, trafficking, hatred, addiction, and evil don't get the last word. Grace does." Give me your response to that. I'd love to know what this means. You would love to know what this means. Yeah. Uh, So when I read it, I think what this is saying is that we are surrounded by such brokenness, uh, such darkness and death in this world that we all deal with it every single day, uh, sometimes in small ways, sometimes in huge ways like cancer and ALS and other things, uh, that it can be really easy uh, to... um, to become overwhelmed and and to think that these things are ultimate, uh, but that we're reminded of the good news of the gospel uh, that that at the death and resurrection of Jesus, sin and death have been defeated. For uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians that victory is won, 
uh, and that there is coming a day when none of these things will be present. I believe uh, that is what he is getting at here, that ultimately Jesus wins, not all of the brokenness we see around us. Okay, so what about someone who doesn't believe in Jesus? Uh, what is the question? Do these things win out? Yeah. Uh, I, I would say, uh, and then I'm going to turn the questions on you. I would say that uh, there's an old saying that the uh, that for those who don't be- for those who believe in Christ, this world is the worst of things, and for those that don't believe in Christ, this world is ultimately the best of things. Hmm. So, depending on what you believe about hell and the afterlife, I would say that this promise is not for those who believe in Jesus, and I think that's what he's saying: the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, is what has defeated these things. How about you? I'm guessing by that question, you might have a different take on it. Well, no, I just think it's interesting. And again, it's a tweet. Um, and this is a tweet that that you put in the rundown because yep. it like spoke to you and it had some meaning. Um, when it talks about the resurrection and return of Jesus guarantee comprehensive and eternal redemption and restoration, then lists all those things. It says they don't have the last word. Grace does. Would it be safe to say that what I think maybe he means to say is that belief in the resurrection and return of Jesus guarantees comprehensive and eternal redemption and restoration, right? Mm. That feels like a really important, possibly missing word, because if what you're just saying... That's interesting. And you're just kind of speaking on his behalf, so it's not really totally fair because he's not you know, here. But if he's saying, no, the resurrection actually guarantees these things, grace gets the final word, you're saying, well, it gets the final word for the people, people believe. that believe the right things right. or have trusted the right things or prayed a prayer or, or whatever, right? Like, that's, that's what I'm curious about. Like, do you think that if you were to write this tweet, let's say... And, you know, we were running through some edits before you hit post. Would you add the word belief to that or is that not necessary? I think I would. Yeah, I think so. How about you? I don't know. I don't think I would write this. Why? Because in some capacity, I don't know what its purpose is. Okay. It's not it's not a it doesn't call anyone to anything. It does have a little bit of a of an escapism feel to hey if you're in the midst of pain suffering what is the list here cancer suicide alzheimer's disease als racism drugs poverty trafficking hatred addiction and evil they don't get the last word i've probably said things like that in a sermon right yep i'm I thinking believe i'm saying something like it in this week's sermon <laughs> <laughs> you're probably quoting this tweet yeah but if i'm someone let's maybe make it a little bit uh easier first um someone who would say that they have trusted in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, that they are a Jesus follower. Yep. Um, if you're experiencing these things, does hearing that grace gets the final word offer any comfort in your present pain? I think it would. Yeah? I think so. I think pointing people to the ultimate reality that death doesn't win out, pain doesn't win out, sin doesn't win out uh, for the Christ follower, and I think that's who his audience here is, is my guess. Uh, I think that that... Uh, provides all, a lot of hope. It doesn't remove you from the pain. It doesn't make the pain less painful, but I, I, I would hope that it reminds you of the temporary nature of it as it, you're sitting right. with your loved one who has Alzheimer's or you know cancer or whatever else. Which I, again, totally understand and have probably preached things myself, but I feel like would be, and I think I'm hearing this more and more these days, what might be helpful is that there is a God who is near the brokenhearted, who yeah. enters into our pain. This to me feels more like Hey, you know it. It is really terrible right now, but guess what? Hold out long enough here, and you get to go to the good place instead of the bad place when you die. Mm. Like that to me uh, drips a little bit of sort of a 
of an I'll fly away type of theology mm. that is sometimes I think what creates sort of this uh, I'm not a citizen of this world, which can lead to some pretty yep. unhelpful places because then it feels like, well, I don't, I'm not given any tools to engage in the here and now, yep. but the best bet that I have is to hold out for some sort of future redemption. Right. Uh, I think that's why a lot of young people in particular, honestly, don't have an interest in the church because they hear, they hear us saying, yeah, but what, what does the gospel mean for me right here and now? Does Jesus care about right here and now? Does he have anything to say? Does yep. the church have anything to say? I think that's a, a question that young people are, are raising a lot. And in a lot of ways, the church maybe doesn't know how to respond. Yeah, that's interesting. Because when I read this tweet, I, I, I think that my lens that I read this through, I kind of see that in there. Like that in that pain, uh, those things that are the most painful in this world, uh, they're not ultimate. They're not going to be there. But I get I, I do, I, you know, that verse that God is near to the brokenhearted, I think, is one that we cannot quote enough times yeah, yeah. <laughs> and make sure people know that God is, not will be, but that God is present in your right. pain. Um, he is powerful. He is at work providing hope, uh, even in the midst of the brokenness of this world, I think, is uh, uh, is uh, something that we can't talk about enough. What does Paul say to the church in Corinth? Something like it is working in eternal weight of glory or something. Is that the language he uses? Something like that. And he kind of draws this comparison to the the glory that awaits you is far greater than whatever yeah. pain that you're experiencing. And I th- I think there is. A, I'm not saying there's not benefit to not. that. Yep. I just think that there we do sometimes as churches and church leaders fail to really speak present hope even in the midst of suffering, rather than hey, just white knuckle it for eighty to ninety. You know, for someone listening, it's like oh, I have I've debilitating disease my entire life, or I've been the victim of racism my entire life. Yep. How, how do we actually do a better job? I think of not just say, hey, eventually this will pass. Like, I gotcha. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, it gets better is sort of what we're So I we'd want to say, saying. hey, eventually it will pass, which is part of the good news. And and in this day, God is present. Right. And he's at work. And there's beauty in the brokenness. Yep. And there's, you know, all that kind of stuff, yep. I think, is is a, uh, an apologetic and, and it's a, good. a missiology I think we need to develop. Yeah, and hopefully that's helpful for any of you out there who are struggling with the brokenness of this world. Yeah. Uh, and uh, all of us are to some level, but some of you are really acutely... Uh, And we hope that is helpful. Well, uh, coming up next, uh, how about we do a little uh, climate change, Robert Jeffers, Greta, uh, I forget her last name. Thunberg. There you go. Uh, That should be fun. Let's talk about that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common, our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Friday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. You can find our podcasts uh, wherever it is uh, you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, review, and uh, that helps us. And uh, we're thankful for all of you uh, that do listen to the podcast. I'm super excited that coming up in about 20 minutes or so, we can talk to Phil Vischer Ooh, can't for wait. a while. Man, that guy. I'm ready. I'm excited for that. Uh, let me, before jumping into our topic here, let me read to you about a concert coming up 
Uh, this is the 222 Foundation concert with the Gettys. The 222 Foundation provides seminary students training, scholarship, and spiritual nourishment and would like to extend a special invitation to AM 1160 listeners to attend a limited access fundraising concert with Keith and Kristen Getty on Friday, October 4th at the Bridge Church in Barrington, Illinois. Visit 222foundation.org for a link to reserve tickets and use the access code WYLL to reserve your complimentary seats. Seating is limited, so remember the access code WYLL to reserve your seat to see Keith and Kristen Getty with the 222 Foundation uh, today. Uh, So uh, there's been a lot over the news as of late uh, about the 16-year-old girl, uh, Greta, we're we going with Thunberg, 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 T-H-U-N-B-E-R-G. Uh, and she is the young climate activist uh, who's been lot, making lots of speeches. She's become kind of the face, mm-hmm. um, especially of the next generation of uh, kind of the fears about climate change and kind of the push uh, towards what this article in Newsweek calls global climate justice movement. She's uh, a Swedish climate activist at the age of of 16. And so uh, she gave an impassioned speech the other day. Uh, We want you to hear about a minute or so of that. And then uh, also we're going to talk about just some of the reaction to it. So once you hit that, this is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? And so she's been giving lots of speeches and getting lots of uh, lots of uh, acclaims, not the word, lots of uh, support from yeah. people and uh, thankful for what she's doing. But then there's the other side of people who don't agree with her uh, that's made a little bit of this uncomfortable. Do you attack or not attack a 16 year old who's out there and uh, some various other things? The answer so, is not attack. So that's... let's hear uh, Robert, Pastor Robert Jeffers out of. Uh, Dallas, I believe. Uh, yeah, from First Baptist Church in Dallas. Listen to this. And look, you know, this uh, Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old, she was warning today about the mass extinction of humanity. Somebody needs to read poor Greta, Genesis chapter 9, and tell her next time she worries about global warming, just look at a rainbow. That's God's promise that the polar ice caps aren't going to melt and flood the world again. And so this has turned into a political debate uh, around climate change. Uh, that is now uh, there's lot you know been lots of uh, what was that march there was some marches last week that were huge and uh, this feels like it's ramping up feels like it's ramping up even more especially in in heading into the presidential election uh, wondering there's so many different parts of this story that I want to talk about but wondering your thoughts about uh, just her message her message in general yeah uh, I think it's actually. Pretty inspiring that someone that young is, I mean, she started off as this like solitary protester, the silent protester that has now garnered, you know, millions and millions of supporters and 
I think in a, in a lot of ways is having conversations that at the very least should be happening. And I don't think it's unique that young people are at the helm of this. I feel like every time that there is some kind of movement, there is some sense of press that's like, ow, we should be listening to a 16-year-old. And I think she would agree. I think she said in another interview, she's like, I'm not even asking you to listen to me. I'm asking you to look at the science or to look at these studies or look at this research. You know, I think young people being at the helm of these things is actually pretty consistent with the way a lot of movements throughout history have gone. Uh, and so you're okay, you're you uh, you're good with it being a 16 year old. I think you're right uh, that there are have been lots of movements through the years. There's something that makes me uncomfortable with it, though. And this is why I've been trying to get it. I've been trying to get at it in my head, knowing we're going to talk about it. You know, you and I always joke that we don't know what we're going to say when we stand in front of the microphones. I feel like you mostly say. Yeah, <laughs> I there's something about it as you read about her background a little bit and just kind of being the face of things. And as a dad who has a 16 year old, like I do or about to be 16, I don't know. There's something that makes me uncomfortable about it. And maybe it shouldn't, maybe you're right. Like, you know, that often kids are at the front of this movement. I don't know why I feel differently about this one. And maybe I shouldn't, maybe it's like the first time it's happened where like I have a kid the same age and it's something about it makes me uncomfortable. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if that's just my own issues. It's very possible. That is my own issues. (laughs) Uh, she has spoken a lot about well let's let's go to Robert Jeffers stuff then what are your thoughts uh, uh i guess you got to dive right into what he said about the rainbow and the flood i think that was done to make a point but what do you think about what jeffers said i i don't i mean i don't think that's great theology to be yeah. honest i think to say that to say that the rainbow is our promise that let's just assume let's just say that Greta is 100% accurate and all the stuff she's saying, which she probably isn't. But let's just say, let's just say she is. Would it, would it be good theology to say, well, it doesn't apparently matter what we do to the earth because um, we have the rainbow from Noah. <laughs> so that repercussion, at least uh, in particular, where we're protected from, we're immune from any damage to the polarized caps because this story in the old Testament. Yeah, no, that, that feels like bad theology. I think not just feels like bad theology. It is bad hermeneutics. Yeah. Uh, but I would also say, I, and you threw it in there. You said, and what she's probably saying isn't uh, whatever you said, like completely true or whatever else, not, uh, not on purpose. I think that's what I struggle with so much. And I've got a buddy that actually he's a scholar around some climate stuff that I'd love to have on sometime. But I think that's, what's bothering me. It feels like the, the, the rhetoric on both sides has gotten so extreme that it's like, man, I don't, I feel like we're losing the possibility of having an actual conversation around this. Like mm. the, her standing up and other people parroting it saying the world's about to end. Like there's not going to be a world here for the next generation. I just don't think that's true from the things I've read, but also going, Oh, God gave us a rainbow so we can do whatever we want with the world also feels bad to me. And, and it's one of these conversations that I'm having trouble even knowing what I'm what to think about climate yeah. change. And that's, what's so difficult. I, it bothers me that, the earth and climate change has become so partisan. I understand why it is because on one side they're like, we got to you know change everything we do, and the other side's like, no, we don't, and it becomes a partisan thing. But it's becoming difficult to navigate even what to think about it. And I don't, I, uh, Jeffers' comment here, and quite frankly, some of her rhetoric, I'm not sure is helpful. I think it inflames it on both sides and keeps things moving well, uh, in opposite directions. I, and you said it. I don't think it's a partisan issue. I think it's a moral issue. And I think, you know, and it's unfortunate to me that often Christians are the least likely to be seen as people who actually care for the earth yep. in general. Whether or not you buy her arguments or the, you know, 
the rhetoric du jour. I think it's unfortunate that we see care for the earth as a peripheral issue for Christ followers when it seems like like I there's even some good scholarly suggestions that like, you know, John three sixteen, the most popular verse in the world, God so loved the world. The word world there might be better translated land. God so mm-hmm. loved the land the earth. There is something deeply sacred and connected to how we do or don't care for the planet that we've been entrusted to steward. And this idea that like, well, either way we got the rainbow, either way <laughs> we're safe. It's like, well, yeah. e- okay, let's even say if that's true, that, that they're not actually melting. We're still responsible to steward the resources that we're given. Well, because it's connected. It's, it's central to incarnational theology that he came to earth. That has, meaning that has value to it. It's not just, well, this is just an incubator for our eternal place. I think that's where it comes from. When we pray yep. for heaven to come to earth, that we're making a declaration about earth's value. And when we, I think, treat it as disposable, I think it's a much deeper spiritual issue than we recognize. I think that's a really good way to put a bow on this and wrap this up. Cause uh, I do think the church, I think it goes back to the escape and escapism that we talked about earlier, right? Like, just to, we're going to leave here anyway, which I'm not sure is good theology. We're just going to leave here so we don't have to worry about this earth. We can do whatever we want with it, uh, I think, is dangerous, and the church needs to have some conversations about that. Yeah. Um, anyway, coming up next, we are going to get to talk to Phil Vischer. This is something you and I have been wanting to do. I can Waiting to wait. do. Uh, he's going to be in here uh, on the phone for two segments uh, to talk about various other th- uh, different things. You're going to want to stay here and listen to that. Coming up next, Phil Vischer. Here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Are you okay there? Yes, I am. I know the name of our show, let me tell you. My goodness. Uh, that voice you hear mocking me is Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad to have you joining us today. Uh, and we're thrilled to be joined on the phone right now uh, by Phil Vischer. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad I could be here. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. You, uh, yeah, there you might know Phil as the creator of VeggieTales. But what we want to talk to Phil about today uh, is the debut of his lifelong passion project. It says here, a kid's Bible uh, for a new generation called the Laugh and Learn Bible uh, for Kids. So let's start there. Um, it, it speaks here about this being a passion of yours. Uh, we'll t- talk to us a little bit about your passion behind this kid's Bible and why you uh, so desperately wanted to create it. Yeah, so I uh, I wrote Veggie Tales for about ten years, uh, most of the episodes of Veggie Tales, and after that, I felt like God wanted me to take kids deeper into the Bible because you can mm. only go so deep in theology with happy, bouncy, talking vegetables. <laughs> but I, need to, I think I need to go a little deeper now. Let's see what that goes like. Um, and so I did a series, a video series called "What's in the Bible" that walked kids all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and, and tried to answer big questions about the Bible and kind of give them an overview of the whole arc of Scripture. And whenever you teach something, especially if you teach it to kids, you find out if you really know it. Right? Mm, yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I ended up learning so much about the Bible by attempting to teach the entire thing to kids in this video series that uh, we started talking after that, that we should try to put that into an actual kid's storybook Bible so that kids could, you know, carry around something in their hands and sit down with their parents before bedtime or after dinner, you know, and read a story from the Bible, but also get the big picture of the Bible. Right. And that's really what, what motivates me is that quite often, you know, if kids go to Sunday school or if they pick up books, you know, on Bible stories, 
they get these individual slices of the Bible. Yeah. You know, they get a story here and a story there and a story here, and there's Noah's Ark with animals, and there's <laughs> Daniel in the lion's den with animals, and there's Jesus with a sheep. You know, all these animal <laughs> stories. <laughs> right, right. Animals. And it's always stuff. animals. <laughs> yeah. Always with the animals. Uh, Jonah and the whale, another big one with an animal. For some reason, Balaam's donkey never makes it. <laughs> I can't figure out why. So that's in your Bible? That is... <laughs> uh, no. Um, <laughs> but what, what kids are missing is, is the connective tissue that hmm. strings all these stories into one big story. So the Bible turns into like a photo album yeah. of snapshots rather than an actual movie of the story of God and what he's done for us. And so what I've been trying to do both with what's in the Bible and now with the Laugh and Learn Bible for Kids is string all these stories together to show that it tells one big story and then help kids find their own place inside that story so they can be a part of it. I feel like I need to read this Bible. Yes. Like that's so. Uh, many of you should know if you don't already that Phil also hosts a brilliant podcast called The Holy Post, and I think I think I remember hearing you talk about this and even some of the skittishness around. Like, can I create a Bible? Is there extra pressure when you like add the word Bible to something? Like, have you received any pushback from uh, that yeah, at all? Yeah, I, I actually I, I pushed back. I just, <laughs> people would bring it up. Like, let's do a VeggieTales Bible. And I just thought, oh, no, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> um, but this this works much better because it's not vegetables. You're not, you're right, not yeah, right. again, one of our one of our VeggieTales rules from day one was we will not portray Jesus as a vegetable. Right, uh, right. And that would have made a VeggieTales Bible very, very difficult yeah. to do. So this is, you know, human art uh, representations of Bible characters, and it works out much better. So I'm, I'm happy that uh, it took this long to get around to it, because I'm also more mature. You know, I started <laughs> writing VeggieTales when I was 25, and wow. now I'm 53. So more than half of my life has gone by since I started writing VeggieTales. And uh, if you're walking with Jesus that long, you're going to grow at least a little bit. Yeah. And when you sit down to write something deeper, you've got more depth to draw on. Yeah, yeah. So Ian made a joke about saying that he needs to read this Bible. Um, one of the things we found at our church is sometimes with the newest believers, the best introduction is like with a children's Bible that we trust. Do you have yes. that? Could you see that being used in this way too for people really young in the faith, oh, yes. people who don't grasp that? Are you yeah, hearing I've, that? We saw that with Veggie Tales. I also saw that with the What's in the Bible series, that adult small groups were going through my What's in the Bible series of videos, which are wow. designed for children and have puppets and animation in them. <laughs> um, if you, first of all, if you give, you know, go to a nine year old and say, hey, congratulations, you're nine now. Here's a full text NIV or King James right. or ESV study Bible. You know, good luck. Have fun. <laughs> There's some weird stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm partly joking, but partly not. They're going to die in the desert just like the Israelites. Right. They're going to make it to Leviticus, <laughs> and then they're just going to die. <laughs> so, so we need to somehow tell the story of the Bible in a way that they can access, that they can get through it, that they can survive to get to the end. And right. then when they get to a full-text Bible later on, you know, and they open up to the Psalms or they open up to the Gospels, they know where they are yeah. in the story because they've already gone through the story. And that is true of parents, too, because <laughs> we make a mistake in church sometimes when we say, hey, young parents, you need to be discipling your kids right. without right. ever asking, uh, wait a minute, did anyone disciple you? Mm. 
you can't ask parents to teach their kids how to ride a bike if no one taught the parents how to right. ride a bike. Yeah. So yeah. what I try to do with my resources is let's learn this together as a family. You know, parents, you don't have to say, I didn't know this stuff. Or you can say, you can confess to your spouse right. that you didn't know this stuff. <laughs> you don't have to confess to your kids. But when a family learns something together, whether it's by reading a book or watching a video, they can reinforce it for each other. Yeah. You know, the parents can reinforce it for their kids, and the kids can reinforce it for their parents, and everybody learns, and it becomes foundational to the whole family. I love that. All right, so I had a mentor when I was young, when I first started off preaching, and he said, uh, until you can describe your sermon in 30 seconds to an eight-year-old, you're not done writing it yet. And that lesson so stood out to me. And you mentioned it earlier that yeah. like in writing this for children, you yourself actually learned a bunch. Can you talk us a little bit about what was that experience like learning to write this for the audience of a child? Like, What was that like just as a writer, as a creative? Like, What did you learn about yourself or the process in doing that? Yeah, I, I'm able to do that, and I'm not sure why. I have easy access to uh, myself as like a second grader. <laughs> That's <laughs> a, a gift. That's good. Yeah, I guess so, because whenever, so I'll, I'll, I'll pull out, you know, a, a big study Bible, and I'll pull out commentaries, and I'll, I'll talk to friends of mine that are Old Testament and New Testament scholars and ask them questions and then kind of collect their answers and now think, now how would I explain that to second grade Phil? Mm. And so I'll try, and then I'll read it, and second grade Phil will say, that didn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, this word, I don't understand this word, I didn't understand that word, this Christian-y phrase that you threw out at me, I've right. heard it in church, but no one's ever defined it, so I have no idea, you know, what washed in the blood means. Yeah. That sounds hideous. <laughs> so I'm able to say, okay, second grade Phil, what do I need to change about this? And second grade Phil says, everything, just start over, do it again. And then I oh, keep that's doing so it good. he says it's okay. Yeah. So I read a quote here from you. You said, after all, we know kids love big, exciting, redemptive stories. That's why superheroes, Star Wars and Harry Potter are so popular. Uh, I love that. And so often we don't at all use the Bible that way with kids. Was that kind of a driving factor for you here to help them see it kind of on a grand scale like Harry Potter or like Star Wars? Yes, yes. If you, if you, if you can't see the big picture that the Bible is telling, this big story, yeah. Um, it's too easy to, to turn the Bible into just a book of rules, right. you know, or a, bo- a book of tips. You know, here's how to have a better marriage. Here's how to manage your finances according to the Bible. And that's so uninspiring yeah, to right. turn the Bible into tips and rules. So no wonder kids are turning to Harry Potter and they're mm. turning to Star Wars and they're turning, they just want to be part of a big story. Hmm. Uh, more than 2,000 weddings a year happen on Disney property. Wow. Okay, that's, that's like almost six weddings a day wow. happen on Disney property. And now <laughs> you can actually buy a wedding dress to match your favorite Disney princess. And of you course. can outfit all of your bridesmaids <laughs> as Disney princesses and get you have your wedding with Cinderella's castle in the background. And it's not because we're failing to grow up. It's that because we're growing up in a world that tells us there's no big story anymore mm. that you can be a part of. So we're looking for fictitious stories to be a part of because we can't stand the idea that there's nothing behind the curtain, that there's no magic in the universe. So the Bible is the original story that explains the magic in the universe, you know, that that, that there's someone behind the curtain that loves us. And when we we fail to tell that story in a way that inspires kids, 
we shouldn't be surprised when they run off to other stories. Oh, that's so good. Uh, you're listening to Phil Vischer joining us. He is uh, talking to us about the new Bible he's uh, just put out called Laugh and Learn Bible uh, for Kids. Uh, we are very excited. Phil is going to stay with us for another segment because we have all sorts of things to ask him. So that's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I'm so blue cuckoo, blue cuckoo, blue cuckoo. I'm so blue. Well, there you go. Welcome back to The Common Good did on he, AM 1160. Did he run that by us first? <laughs> nope, <not laughs> surprise. Oh, my goodness. Oh, alongside Ian Simpkins, Boy. my name is Brian Brown. <laughs> and that, that surprised voice you hear there is also Phil Vischer. Uh, Phil is joining us on the phone today. Uh, if you missed the first segment with Phil, make sure to go listen to the podcast as we talked about his laugh and learn Bible for kids. Um, but Phil, uh, I could tell you that there was a lot of excitement in my house uh, when when we read, not just with my kids, but also with my wife and I, when we heard that VeggieTales is relaunching. Uh, so why don't you tell us some more about that good news? Yeah, so um, I uh, lost ownership of VeggieTales way back in 2003, so 16 years ago. Wow. The whole generation of kids has grown up since I uh, yeah. was driving the car with, with Bob and Larry in it. Um, it's since then, VeggieTales has been owned by, I think, four different companies. No Because kidding. everything gets bought and sold, yeah, a gazillion times, and I'd kind of given up on it. I'd kind of... You know the very last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark when the Ark of the Covenant <laughs> goes into the box yes, yes. and then goes into the giant warehouse and they think, well, that's it. That's <laughs> that was kind of in my mind what had happened to Bob and Larry. Mm-hmm. And they were in the box being wheeled into the giant. And, and uh, because the company that owned uh, VeggieTales was bought by NBC Universal, which is owned by Comcast, which Got is it. one of the biggest media companies in the world. And I thought, well, that's the end of that. Yeah, right, Nobody right. <laughs> Nobody there has time to think about Bob the tomato and Larry the cucumber and and Christian homeschoolers that love them. Right. So I and then I got a call from the Trinity Broadcast Network, which is the largest religious broadcaster in the world, and they had approached NBC Universal to say, "Hey, are you going to do anything with Veggie Tales? And if you're not, could we do something with Veggie Tales?" They approached and, them uh, first. You, yes. No yes, kidding. Yes. And. And Universal said, well, we won't give them to you or sell them to you, but we'll rent them to you if people want, because <laughs> um, that's how Hollywood works. Yeah. You can rent our stuff, and then we'll still own it. So they pitched doing a TV series with VeggieTales, and they reached out to me. TBN and Universal reached out to me and said, hey, would you help creatively with this new series? And in particular, could you make it feel like VeggieTales used to feel back in the olden days? Because wow. that's the veggies that we like. And I said, you know, I've been hoping that someone might ask me that one of these days. <laughs> yes, I'd be happy to get involved and make VeggieTales feel like it used to feel back in the olden days. So we've been working on it for a year now, uh, producing 18 new episodes that will be for TV that will air on TBN and then also go to streaming platforms and hopefully other places, too. Well, as one of those former Homer, Homer, Homer homeschooled, homeschooled, homeschooled <laughs> also Homer, we weren't, allowed, no, we weren't allowed to watch Simpsons. Uh, I, I could not be more excited. I did also want to ask you, though, we, we mentioned earlier that you have a podcast that I legitimately think is brilliant. I'm, I'd love to know a little bit about the podcast. What's kind of the vision for it? How is it different from other things you've done in the past? Just kind of let people know that maybe don't have any idea that you have a podcast. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's called the Holy Post Podcast. You can find it on iTunes. Uh, I, I host it with a friend of mine, Sky Jatani, who's a pastor and has a seminary degree and also an editor, has been editor of, of a couple of different Christian magazines, a really bright guy. Um, and what we're really trying to do there is help Christians navigate an increasingly post-Christian culture Hmm. Uh, where, you know, everything just seems upside down and we don't know what to do with all these issues that come up. And is it, you know, is the church dying? How does the church need to change to adapt? Uh, Sky's a pretty well-respected thinker on some of those issues. And I know how to be funny. (laughs) (laughs) Is that, that's the arrangement? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the arrangement. Uh And I come up with news stories that it's sometimes they're just completely bizarre and have nothing to do with anything, but they tickle me. <laughs> I love it. How frustrated I can get Sky. And then Sky <laughs> interviews guests. You know, we've had everyone on from, you know, N.T. Wright to Oz Guinness to uh, Russell Moore, the head of the Southern Baptist yeah. uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, uh, David Kinnaman, the pollster. And, and we're just talking about issues. You know, what is going on in the church? Why does it feel like it's such a mess? How is politics infecting uh, evangelical Christianity, and, and what can we do about it? So it gets uh, kind of interesting, but it's a whole lot of fun. I, I do just have to say how happy it makes me that there's a podcast somewhere where N.T. Wright is being interviewed, and there's a segment called News of the Butt. <laughs> the fact that those would be on the same episode makes me there's, so eternally happy. No, I'm not saying, I'm not, we're not saying there's a connection between. No, right, right. Right. Not and the same so, segment. That's not what you're saying, right? right not you're at all, not at all. That. No, big fan of the Anglicans. Yeah, yeah, we did a story, I just, there was a story about, like, like uh, bug butts or something. No, it was turtle butts. The first story was about turtle butts. How turtles actually breathe through their butts when they're hibernating in the mud, and I couldn't believe it. It was so wonderful, so I had to share it on the podcast. And then somebody said, "Hey, give us more news of the butt." And said, okay. Somebody said that. That's so awesome. Our, this our is my favorite day. Segment. <laughs> it's funny how those segments go. Some, oh, that's funny. Some people say, "Oh, we love the news of the butt," and other people say, "Would you please stop doing this?" News of the butt? Yeah, I can nope. understand that. Uh, I want to ask you also uh, back about Veggie Tales. Is it does it surprise you the staying power that that has had? Like generations, like my my kids still watch it, and as even as they get older, it like harkens them back to when they were younger. And now people I know with younger kids, their kids are still watching it. It must make you proud for the staying power. But does it does it surprise you? Yeah, yeah, it does surprise me, and it's and it it makes me happy and also a little bit sad mm. at the same time. And I'll, I'll explain why. It makes me happy just to think, you know, I thought of something that has stuck in the culture yeah. this long. Hmm. That is so cool, you know, that, I, that I've told these stories and I've worked with other people to tell these stories over the years and they're just, they're not going away. Yeah. They just keep doing more good. Um, it makes me a little bit sad because in the, in the general market, in the mainstream world, things don't last that long because in a few years, someone comes up with something even better. Right. You know, and so p- part of me is looking at like, it's been 20 years, guys, 25 years. You know, isn't anyone going to come up with something better? Oh, interesting. An audience. Okay. Yeah. So it gets me a little bit discouraged about the state of, of, you know, just Christian creativity and our ability to really compete uh, with mainstream media. Well, and that's, that's a perfect segue. Cause I wanted to ask you this for a while. What, encouragement or hope or challenge would you give because brian and i are both pastors and so often it feels like the church is way behind the curve when it comes to truly like engaging artists and creatives 
What challenge or encouragement would you give the people listening that feel like they have this creative energy or spark, but they don't, they don't know where to put it or they don't know what to do with it? Like, do you have any words yeah. of wisdom for them? Yeah. It is so easy to make stuff. Today. <laughs> yeah. You know, when, I, when I was a kid and I wanted to make a film, I had to borrow my grandfather's Super 8 millimeter film camera and go buy film stock. It was like 20 bucks for three minutes of film. Right. You know, and I'm nine years old and I had to learn how to run the camera and develop the film and then cut up the film to edit it with a splicer and with tape. Right. And today, I mean, you can make a feature film on your iPhone. Right. It's insane. So if you have a hankering to make something, make something. Yeah. Uh, most people are getting so far ahead of themselves and saying, yeah, but how will I make money? You know, mm, how will I make a yeah. living? I want to make a living doing this. When, and, and this is what frustrates me a little bit. When people in, in the secular world, when they want to be dancers or they want to be photographers, they move to New York City or they move to L.A. and they work at Starbucks and right. they work as waitresses and they just work on their art you know, without worrying about how they're going to pay the bills or whether their art will ever pay the bills. And because we've been so committed to the idea of family in the church and you have to be a good provider for your kids and you have to have kids and you have to have a house in the suburbs and they need to have uh, soccer lessons and they need all the trappings right. that we can't imagine. How could I be an artist and ever provide the life that I think I'm supposed to provide for my kids. Right. And, you know, and, and the funny thing is we don't say the same thing about missionaries. We don't yeah. say, now if you become a missionary, how are your kids going to have soccer practice? <laughs> That's <know>? true. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. How are good. you going to have a, a, you know, a three-bedroom house in the suburbs yeah. if you're a missionary in Bangladesh? We don't, for some reason, we respect missions much higher than we respect arts, mm, even though good. they're both outreaches to a world that's hurting. That's, that's so great. Good. Well, Phil, we could just keep going on here, but... Uh, we are so grateful that you've joined us. You can uh, catch up with Phil's work multiple different places. We already talked about the Holy Post podcast. Watch for the uh, new run of VeggieTales that's coming. And most importantly for our conversation today, check out the Laugh and Learn Bible for Kids. You can visit laughandlearnbible.com and learn more about it and find out all the different places you can get it. Phil, we're so thankful. Thank you for taking the time uh, and spending it with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on the show. Yep. Have a pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. That music can only mean one thing. We are going to go into interweb insanity. Uh, We are going to read stories uh, from the minds of our producers, uh, PJ and Keith Conrad, they have picked these stories. We have not seen them. Uh, they usually make us laugh, sometimes make us cringe, uh, but we're right there alongside you. Uh, before we're, Ian reads the first one, though, let me tell you about a conference uh, called the Rooted Ministry Conference. Rooted 2019 uh, is taking place in Chicago, October 3rd through the 5th, at Park Community Churches near North Campus. Visit rootedministry.com for tickets to this conference for anyone involved in the discipleship of teens, whether you're a youth pastor, a volunteer, or a parent, go to uh, rootedministry.com. Uh, Use the password 1160 for a discount. You go first, sir. Here we go, Florida. Man arrested for swinging samurai sword at another man during a fight over trash. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'm just going to read that again. That's my favorite <laughs> sentence today. Man arrested for swinging samurai sword at another man during a fight over trash. 
Florida man has been arrested and charged with attempted murder. Oh, jeez. After swinging a samurai sword at another man during a dispute over trash. I just read that. A Broadway County Sheriff's Office said Curtis Miller, 54, 54. I was not expecting that age. Was caught swinging the sword on home surveillance video July 15th during a fight with another man over a disputed dump cart. Both men had coveted the cart after rummaging through a trash pile outside a vacant house in Oakland Park, Florida. Statements made by police claim that the man swung the sword in the direction of the alleged victim, Todd Beavers. Beavers had arrived at the site after spotting the apparent, the apparently tempting trash pile during an evening jog around the neighborhood. Reach for the sky! Yeah, all right. <laughs> Ohio. Woman gets prison for leading officers on chase, hitting cruisers because she was late to work. Uh, Amani Edwards, age 23, was charged with failure to comply and multiple counts of felonious assault. Felonious? Yes. Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Judge. That's a long title. (laughs) Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Judge Michael Shaughnessy. Wow. Sentenced Edwards to four years and nine months in prisons. Her license will be suspended for 15 years and she has to pay $26,000. A state trooper tried to pull her over during rush hour on March 22nd for a window tint. Uh, and a false registration, but she refused to stop, according to patrol. Police said Edwards rammed into two cruisers and a patrol SUV. The chase ended later when she was forced off the road and hit a utility pole. I don't know what you were thinking, the judge said. At a time when law enforcement is under such scrutiny, your lawyer's right. They showed incredible restraint. The incident was captured on dash camera video, which was played in the court. Uh, Newburgh Heights police said Edwards did this because she claimed she was late for work. Was that wrong? (laughs) Should I not have done that? All right, Germany bottoms up, fires out. German man douses fire with beer. Oh, it's a happy story. A German motorist is being credited. You're already nodding. Did you hear this story? No. Yes, good. A German motorist is being credited for his quick thinking after his engine caught fire on the Autobahn. He turned turned to a slightly different foam extinguisher to douse the flames, bottles of beer, Police told the DPA news agency Wednesday that the man was on the highway near the town of Hosbach in Bavaria. The day before he went, uh, he smelled something odd. Pulling over, the man spotted flames under the hood of his car, quickly grabbed bottles of beer from a case in the car and quenched the fire. Authorities say the fire department responded, but there was nothing left for them to do. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to <laughs> all of life's problems. That's, that's becoming a regular. And it was a solution. On it's this. true. That was not wrong. Colorado. United Airlines flight diverted to Denver after passenger gets stuck in the bathroom. I saw this on the Today Show today. Uh, United Airlines flight 1554 was flying from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco when it made an unscheduled stop in Denver. Video shot by a fellow passenger shows crews trying to get the bathroom door open. We'll get you out soon, okay? A crew member is heard saying to the stuck passenger. The stuck door was eventually open, and the passenger was able to get out of the bathroom safely. The flight was scheduled to be back in the air two hours later. What kind of plane is it? Oh, it's a big, pretty white plane with red stripes and curtains in the window and wheels, and it looks like a big Tylenol. This is maybe the most repeat drops we've had. Yeah. It's, a, yeah, boy, it's Friday. Not a way to end it's the Friday. week. <laughs> All right. Australia. Guy who invented Labradoodle, I released a Frankenstein's monster. Hmm. Wow. What's not to like about a Labradoodle? I like Labradoodles. The breed has taken the world by storm since its invention in 1988 and was even considered by the Obamas as a possible choice of first puppy. But the man who invented it all those years ago now calls the move his, quote, life's regret. No. <laughs> Wally Conron. 
Conron. Conron. Speaking to Australia's ABC News podcast, some of all parts last week said he opened a Pandora's box and released a Frankenstein's monster. The problem? Unethical, ruthless breeders who only care about big bucks and don't put the dog's health first. Oh, this is going to be sad. I find that the biggest majority of Labradoodles are either crazy or have a hereditary problem. Conron says, plus the world has since been inundated with other oodle breeds. Unscrupulous breeders are crossing poodles with inappropriate dogs simply so that they can say they were the first to do so. Alive! It's alive! It's alive! I mean, that was pretty inevitable, right? Yeah, that was coming. For sure. A vet and multiple owners insist the Labradoodles are great, so let's end happy right there. Oh, thanks, Brian. Go get your Labradoodle. I just just wonder what inappropriate dogs was. (laughs) (laughs) It's like dogs that are, like, smoking in the boys' room or something. There you go. Well, it's been a fun Friday. Uh, We hope that you have a great weekend. And join us again on Monday from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.